Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Each of us is wearing an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on his back. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And this is the Nerdat Podcast. This week, we talk with author Marisha Pessel, whose sophomore novel, Night Film, comes out this week. And we'll hear about Trisha's trip to an all-night flea market out in the suburbs of Illinois. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. That's, of course, a clip from one of my favorite films, Blues Brothers, and you'll hear why that's relevant to my trip to the flea market a little later. You know, I am curious to figure out how that ties in. Oh, it does. (laughs) Greta, you introduced me to Marisha Pessel's work because you're a huge fan of her first novel, Special Topics in Calamity Physics. What do you love about that book? Well, it was a really fun read, partly because the narrator, Blue, has such a strong personality. And, you know, there's just a lot of really great literary references and a lot of really goofy vocabulary words. And, you know, it's especially a word nerd book, I think. So I was especially excited to find out that Marisha Pessel was coming out with a second book after like seven years of writing. And she's been working on this book so long that about four years ago, she spoke to a college and gave a quote in the speech, sort of you know, quoting a filmmaker to give an inspirational point. And afterwards, people realized that they didn't know who that filmmaker was and they couldn't because she was quoting the name of the filmmaker who was going to be in the novel Night Film, which just came out. Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories about her. It's totally nuts, but it's also really not difficult to picture just given how much detail is in this book. She's been planting in real life Easter eggs for the characters in this novel for four years at least. And this moment isn't the only one where Marisha Pessel's characters bleed off of the page and into the world. She has an app that goes with this new book that enhances the experience. There's a website that builds out the world even further. Yeah, this is one of the most sophisticated storytelling techniques that I've seen where it's almost just essentially screenshots on the pages, but it looks really good. It's a really great way for readers to digest information. I found it really engaging. But we don't want to spoil anything about Night Film. We want you to experience it all for yourself. So instead, we talked with Marisha about some of the things she nerds out about. We did see that you're really passionate about Breaking Bad, so we figured that might be a fun place to start. Oh my god, yes. Any opportunity to talk to you about Breaking Bad, I am over the moon. Awesome. So did you start watching it from the very beginning? People have told me, you have to watch this, you have to watch this. And when I finally did, uh, it was the prototypical experience of binge viewing. I don't think anyone saw me for two weeks. <laughs> and I actually had almost crystal meth dreams. Like You know that they do a lot of like time lapse when Walt and Steffi are cooking in the desert. This is going back to maybe season one when they had the camper. Uh-huh. And just like all how the light and the sun would go down in the desert, my dreams became that. 
So I was really completely submerged in that world, and it was just so terrifying and vibrant and funny and darkly hilarious. It just seemed so much like real life. And um, what Vince Gilligan has pulled off season after season, turning the narrative upon itself again and again is just an act of brilliance. You know, it's true. This world in Breaking Bad is really intricate and it is so real, even though it's also completely absurd in so many ways. Life has that element of absurdity. Is that sort of a theme that you look for in shows or books that you read in general? Absolutely. I mean, I think a novel is really creating a world and it's walking that fine line between pushing the narrative forward and having a momentum and having characters that people are intrigued by. They don't necessarily have to love them, but there has to be something about these characters with a bit of charisma that they want to spend time um, with these characters and find out what motivates them. I always love talking to people whose work I really admire and seeing sort of what they nerded out about as kids, sort of where this passion started from for you of things that you read or saw as a kid that made you realize that stories could do this. My love of suspense must go back to Hitchcock because I always was entranced by just the world that he created and the characters, but then the sense of the unexpected and how how easily life with this sense of permanence that we society allows us to feel that everything will always go on, how easily it can be taken away with a twist and that who you previously believed that you had fallen in love with is, in fact, an entirely different person and is an artificial construction. So I remember being particularly gutted by watching Vertigo when I was like seven or eight years old and was haunted by the story. That theme certainly has pervaded my work, the sense of how those closest to us still have hidden depths and what that means for um, relationships and what that means for families and what that means for parents and their children. So there's a really great profile about you, and they describe your childhood. They say if it had been written on paper, it resembles a Wes Anderson script. And, you know, they mention the harp lessons and the horseback riding and the cheerleading and theater and also watching 40s screwball comedies instead of, like, actual TV. So we did watch a little TV. Not a lot. But um, I, I loved the Jeffersons. Like, George Jefferson was, like, the ultimate dad and just a cool dude. I loved him as a child, but yes. Instead of TV that was on TV, I also grew up watching Abbott and Costello on VHS and Marx Brothers movies and all this stuff. So I wanted to know more about what these 40 screwball comedies were and see if we had any overlap that we could nerd out about. There'd be a lot of Howard Hawk and, you know, that His Girl Friday dialogue with Rosalind Russell and Cary Grant. Oh, listen, Walter. You are no longer my husband and no longer my boss. And you're not going to be my boss. What's that supposed to mean? Just what I say. You mean you're not coming back to work on the paper? All right, Mr. Burns, for the first time today. Uh, uh, got a better offer, huh? You bet I've got a better All offer. All right, go on, take it, work for somebody else. That's the gratitude I get. Oh, I wish you'd stop you came here five years ago? You know, everyone with transatlantic accents and a sense of the absurd. But one of my favorite comedies, robot comedies, was Bringing Up Baby with Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. I think I've at least watched that 25 times. And just like the dialogue and all the double entendre. And it was also, there was an ability to be sexy without being really overt. And just the dynamics between men and women, there was this like fluidity into it and a charm that doesn't quite exist 
in this day and age with movies, but um, I like a real talky picture, like with a lot of dialogue. Aaron Sorkin, of course, like does this now, so I'm obviously an Aaron Sorkin fan. He's got the His Girl Friday dialogue down. You were saying when you binge-watched Breaking Bad, you sort of dreamt in it. I think when you watch those shows, you end up, for a brief moment, absorbing it by osmosis a bit and having wittier conversations and... <laughs> absorbing it into your speech. Did you ever, as a kid, get told, you know, you kind of talk funny because you had spent the weekend watching these Hepburn movies? Actually, someone did say, because uh, I had been a big Grace Kelly fan as a child, and when I went away to camp, people were like, why are you talking with a British accent? <laughs> I think I had watched, like, two packs of tea for, like, rear window a little too much because, of course, like, everyone talks in that way. And, and um, Grace Kelly, for me as a child, was the ultimate symbol of you know, American ladiness and just, you know, also being with this, like, hidden sexuality that was, like, brimming at the surface. And so, yeah, I did have that moment where the counselor, like, pulled me aside and was like, do you have a speech problem? Or, like, what exactly is going on here? I think I probably quickly put that accent away. And oh, man, that's a pretty good nerd confession right there, Marisha. <laughs> it is. I don't think I've thought of that since camp, so I'm having a flashback. But oh, good. We yeah. keep it fresh, you know? This is how we like it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it is. It's good. So one thing we've been asking our listeners is if they have any Breaking Bad predictions. Like, how ideally for you would this story come to an end? Well, this is something I've been talking about actually quite a bit. I, well, obviously... Heisenberg will die. I mean, I will accept this as a fact. My latest theory is that Skyler might take over and, like, become, like, a Heisenberg on steroids that in this, like, sort of female will-to-power move. Because everyone, of course, not Dan Skyler, myself included. Right. And yet she has hidden depths that I'm hoping will, like, eventually make their way, show their colors in some way. But I mean, who knows? The thing is, Vince Gilligan, is, he's already thought this through. He's six steps ahead of all of us. So um, I'm sure anything that we imagine now is not what's going to happen, which is the greatest compliment you can give a storyteller. So you're not worried, in other words? I am not. I mean, we are in as good hands as we possibly can do with Vince Gilligan. So That's I think good. we should just sit back and enjoy. And he's going to pull it off. Thanks to Marisha Petzl for taking the time to talk with us. Pick up her new book, Night Film, and if you love it as much as we did, you'll probably want to pick up a copy of her first novel, Special Topics in Calamity Physics, too. I like how Night Film is such a short and mysterious title. Especially compared to some of the other books we've been talking about, like Denise Kiernan's The Girls of Atomic City, colon, The Untold Story of the Women Who Helped Win World War II. That's kind of a mouthful. So yeah, I actually asked Denise about the title of her book. And she was telling me that it was actually a fairly contentious decision because her publisher said that it had to be SEO optimized. Oh, no. That's a thing? Isn't that crazy? That's a thing we make authors do now? Apparently it is. But first, before we talk about it anymore, Trisha, what? will you explain to us? Since you're, since you're so young and tech savvy, can you explain to us what SEO since means? Since I am my own tech savvy at-risk youth, I will, yes, take a moment for anyone who <laughs> needs it and explain why I'm really sad about this. So you're telling me that instead of letting authors title their books what they want to, we're making them give them SEO titles, which SEO is search engine optimized. So we're basically asking them to write more like search engines think instead of the way humans think. This is terrible. I don't want this to be the way literature is titled. Yeah, it does kind of open up a can of worms. If this was always the case, book titles would have been really lame throughout history. 
Like the prince and the pauper, what's next for the royal baby? <laughs> Oliver Twist? Is this London Street Urchin the next Justin Bieber? Ooh, bonus points for Justin <laughs> Bieber. Justin Bieber has great SEO. <laughs> Jane Austen, seven ways to drive your man wild. With corset strings. <laughs> oh, I think, I think we accidentally made a new game, Greta. Yeah, we could just spend all day doing this now. Okay, but we have to keep doing our episode. Okay, well, if the rest of you are as delighted by this as we are, that's cool. Join in the game. All right, um, people can leave us voicemails. Call us at 312 312- 600-5638 and tell us your SEO classic book titles. So name of the book, normal, colon, the SEO friendly subtitle. That's how the game will work. Exactly. Should we do one more example? Um, Hang on. Uh, Moby Dick, colon, white whales, comma, aging on the seaside and health benefits associated with ocean air. Ooh, I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay. So 312-600-5638. Give us your SEO classic titles, and let's use Twitter, too. How about a hashtag, Greta? Hashtag SEO classics. All right, let's do this. And I'm going to give a specific shout-out right now to our biggest Twitter fan. I think we should. At my Vogue and Poetry, get in on this game. We want you to play with us. Dude. Hashtag SEO classics. Let's do this, guys. Yes. As many titles as you can come up with. We'll read some and play your voicemails in our next episode. Is it already time for homework? Yeah, it's homework time. What you got, Greta? My homework is going to be to read Night Film. It was a really good book. I think everybody's going to like it. And, you know, if you don't, let us know and we'll talk about it. That's always fun, too. Uh, I will give one tip to our listeners. Maybe don't read it right before bed. It's kind of spooky. Also, don't eat pizza with sausage right before bed. Things you can do right before bed. Eat Honey Nut Cheerios and read books that aren't spooky. Things that you should not do. Read Night Film and eat sausage pizza. This is good. This is really good. We asked Marisha Pessel to give our listeners some homework, and here's what she suggested. I think in the vein of night film, I would like you to find a foreign, dark, underground place and just explore that safely with friends, of course. (laughs) But just to have a sense of being in the present a sense of dislocation and finding out the longer you're there if you come to any realization or a new found sense of courage. I think I would like that. So this weekend, for a bit of a unexpected adventure to take Marisha's homework advice, I went to a 24-hour flea market in Wheaton, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. This place was nuts. There were about 10,000 people there. To keep it going all night long, they just had floodlights everywhere. There were people selling just about everything you can think of and some things we definitely didn't expect to find. And that's saying something considering there's not a whole lot you wouldn't expect to find at a crazy flea market. Right. I was actually there doing a radio race for KCRW, a public radio station on the West Coast, hosting a competition, asking folks to, on a certain theme, see if they could tell a story beginning to end within 24 hours. So that's what Logan Jaffe, friend of Nerdette, and I were out doing this weekend at the flea market. And listeners may remember Logan Jaffe from a previous segment we did about nerdy summer camp. Right. She was the one who was at historical reenactor camp. and No big deal. No big deal. And as a lover of all things history, she did manage to buy some old film and home movies that she found that she thinks are still salvageable to watch in a big box of ammo. So we'll check back with her and see if she found any crazy stories on these old weird home movies she bought. Nice. 
That's a great idea. So there's a few things that happened while we were at the flea market. The first of which is that we met a Ghostbuster from Kentucky. (laughs) He's seen... Okay, so I should maybe explain. He's not a Ghostbuster. He was cosplaying as a Ghostbuster, complete with proton pack and a Ghostbuster mobile, (laughs) which he drove all the way from Louisville, Kentucky. (laughs) Wait, what? Yeah. Waves, honks, pictures. Uh, Curious questions. What does all that stuff up top do? It's all all scientific, technical. Wow, that's awesome. And, of course, he can't stop for gas anywhere between Louisville and Illinois in his Ghostbuster mobile without somebody wanting to take his picture with a cell phone. No, we, that's actually become kind of a fear when we're, when we're on a mission to get somewhere because we get in and everybody's already filling up. They're like, oh, can we get your picture? And That's so cool. I mean, do you, do you really catch ghosts? And my question is, have you seen any lately? And they're like, no, you're welcome. <laughs> so it, it, find a way to answer them, you know, indirectly, and, and they laugh about it and kind of kind of move on, so... I had a lady approach me at a McDonald's probably about six months after the car was finished and came in and she's telling me about her kids kept getting in trouble for leaving the lights on in the house and kids kept swearing, you know, I didn't do it, we didn't do it. And so it was a day that they had left the house. Mom was the last one out. She shut everything off. When I came home, everything was back on again. And so she said, all right, it's not the kids. She swears up and down something's in the house. And I, I explained to her, I said, ma'am, I, the car is for, you know, entertainment only. Uh, we don't really, I said, I, I really wish I could help you and I feel sorry for the kids. But, you know, and so I, you know, not the answer I wanted to give her, but, you know, I had to tell her the truth. You know, I said, I'll come over there and put on a light show for you. And, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not going to be able to remove anything. So do they get to charge people for taking their pictures with them? They do. But it's all for charity. The Ghostbusters thing, the making of the costumes in the car, actually started as a gimmick for his computer repair business. But now he busts, as he puts it, for charity. This weekend that I met him, it was raising money for autism awareness to help send kids who are autistic to a special needs camp in Texas. Wow, cosplay for a cause. I like it. And he made all this stuff from scratch, bought the parts on eBay after having watched the movie over 500 times, he thinks. It was all bits and pieces, a fiberglass shell, aluminum components, uh, you know, a lot of searching eBay for, you know, the original parts that were on the ones from the movie. So, I mean, it's as accurate as, as I can possibly get it to the ones that Bill, Harold, you know, Dan Aykroyd, you know, all of them wore in the movie. Every time I go out somewhere and I see a bunch of people, and they, you know, especially little kids when they run up and they know who we are, like, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, it's a heartwarming feeling. I mean, you've help them remember something that their parents shared with them. They sat there and watched it with mom or dad, of course, and just helped embed it, you know. I mean, before it was just a movie. They just saw these guys on television. Now they're at Walmart and they see this bigger-than-life car and the proton pack and all the stuff in the back, and it just it makes it more real for them, and they, they appreciate it more. At the same time, it helps strengthen the bond between them and their parents, whoever it is that shared it with them. So we're helping a lot more people. You know, I I like to think, you know, driving the car just creates miles of smiles. And then, Greta? Uh Uh-huh. And then I met Chewbacca. (laughs) Chewbacca was at the flea market. The website advertised that Chewbacca would be one of the guests at the flea market. But then when we showed up at the gate, there was a piece of paper on the gate in Comic Sans, of course. Oh, God. That said... Chewbacca will not be here because of medical reasons. Oh, no. And so we were kind of disappointed. And then a few hours later, lo and behold, who's strolling around the flea market? Chewbacca. 
What? I know. So apparently he got better, but we wanted to make sure he was okay, that he wasn't still under the weather and just doing this for the cash. So Logan went and interviewed him for a little while. Chewbacca, I thought you were sick today. You got better? What was wrong with you? What kind of doctor do you go to? I didn't know there was that kind of training for, like, is there like a med school for particular interesting um, creatures such as you? So does Chewbacca go to the vet or the doctor? I still don't know. You try getting a straight answer out of that guy. (laughs) So after we met the Ghostbusters and Chewbacca, Logan and I ended up singing some Beatles songs with this guy. Desmond says to Molly, girl, I like your face. And as he says the story, takes her by the hand. You know, like you do. Somebody with a ukulele at the flea market asks you to sing with them. You sing. How the life goes on. But then we're listening and singing and standing around this booth. And I look down and I notice that they're selling a lot of Nazi memorabilia. Okay, cut. Nazi medals, patches, flags, old German helmets. Really spooky, sort of eerie stuff to see just sitting out literally next to pictures of the Beatles and old Hot Wheels cars. Yeah, that's really interesting. But I guess this is one of those free speech moments, right? Well, I think the thing that surprised me most about it was not that people bought and sold this stuff. I always knew that people collected it. And everyone we talked to said for them it was just about the history. That They were just interested in the history and the military history which I still find a little unsettling. Yeah, I almost get that. But I also thought that this kind of stuff only happened behind closed doors. Like that if you had Nazi stuff, it was like in a weird room in your basement. Not that you could just sell it out in the open. I just thought it was weird that on a Saturday afternoon, people were haggling over swastika pins and eating deep fried Oreos in the same place. I just never thought that that was something I'd see. Yeah, that is really remarkable. Yeah. You can find our story about the Nazi memorabilia market in Illinois, along with about 100 other submissions from people all over the world who competed in this 24-hour radio race. The link is at nerdatpodcast.com. Well, that's it for today. Thanks to Marisha Pessel for joining us. And Logan Jaffe for helping with the radio race. If you ever have to spend 24 straight hours making radio at a flea market, Logan's your gal. Thanks for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Throw us a few stars if you're feeling generous. BJ Lederman did not compose our theme. But he could. He's quite talented. You're listening to Paddington Bear. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.